1: This is Day 43, and I'm reading from the NIV version of the Bible, Exodus 24, Leviticus 17 and 18, and Psalm 78. Exodus 24 Then the Lord said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. You are to worship at a distance, but Moses alone is to approach the Lord. The others must not come near, and the people may not come up with him. When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, Everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and set up twelve stone pillars representing the twelve tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in bowls, and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people. They responded, We will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel went up and saw the God of Israel. Under his feet was something like a pavement made of lapis lazuli, as bright blue as the sky. But God did not raise his hand against these leaders of the Israelites. They saw God and they ate and drank. The Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and stay here, and I will give you the tablets of stone with the law and commandments I have written for their instruction. Then Moses set out with Joshua his aid, and Moses went up on the mountain of God. He said to the elders, wait here for us until we come back to you. Aaron and Hur are with you, and anyone involved in a dispute can go to them. When Moses went up on the mountain, the cloud covered it, and the glory of the Lord settled on Mount Sinai. For six days, the cloud covered the mountain, and on the seventh day, the Lord called to Moses from within the cloud. To the Israelites, to the glory of the Lord, looked like a consuming fire on top of the mountain. Then Moses entered the cloud as he went on up to the mountain, and he stayed on the mountain forty days and forty nights. Leviticus 17 The Lord said to Moses, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the Israelites and say to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, a lamb, or a goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord— that person shall be considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and must be cut off from their people. This is so the Israelites will bring to the Lord the sacrifices they are now making in the open fields. They must bring them to the priest, that is, to the Lord, at the entrance to the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as fellowship offerings. The priest is to splash the blood against the altar of the Lord at the entrance to the tent of the meeting, burn the fat as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. They must no longer offer any of their sacrifices to the goat idols to whom they prostitute themselves. This is to be a lasting ordinance for them and for the generations to come. Say to them, Any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance to the tent of meeting to sacrifice it to the Lord must be cut off from the people of Israel. I will set my face against any Israelite or any foreigner residing among them who eats blood, and I will cut them off from the people. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Therefore, I say to the Israelites, none of you may eat blood, nor may any foreigner residing among you eat blood. Any Israelite or any foreigner residing among you who hunts any animal or bird that may be eaten must drain out the blood and cover it with earth, because the life of every creature is its blood. That is why I have said to the Israelites, you must not eat the blood of any creature, because the life of every creature is in its blood. Anyone who eats it must be cut off. Anyone, whether native-born or foreigner, who eats anything found dead or torn by wild animals, must wash their clothes and bathe with water, and they will be ceremonially unclean till evening. Then they will be clean, but if they do not wash their clothes and bathe themselves, they will be held responsible. Leviticus 18. The Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You must not do as they do in Egypt, where you used to live. You must not do as they do in the land of Canaan, where I am bringing you. Do not follow their practices. You must obey my laws and be careful to follow my decrees. I am the Lord your God. Keep my decrees and laws, for the person who obeys them will live by them. I am the Lord. No one is to approach any close relative to have sexual relations. I am the Lord. Do not dishonor your father by having sexual relations with your mother. She is your mother. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your father's wife, that would dishonor your father. Do not have sexual relations with your sister, either your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether she was born in the same home or elsewhere. Do not have sexual relations with your son's daughter or your daughter's daughter, that would dishonor you. Do not have sexual relations with the daughter of your father's wife, born to your father, she is your sister. Do not have sexual relations with your father's sister, she is your father's close relative. Do not have sexual relations with your mother's sister because she is your mother's close relative. Do not dishonor your father's brother by approaching his wife to have sexual relations. She is your aunt. Do not have sexual relations with your daughter's in-law. She is your son's wife. Do not have relations with her. Do not have sexual relations with your brother's wife. That would dishonor your brother. Do not have sexual relations with both a woman and her daughter. Do not have sexual relations with either her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter. They are her close relatives. That is wickedness. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Do not approach a woman to have sexual relations during the uncleanness of her monthly period. Do not have sexual relations with your neighbor's wife and defile yourself with her. Do not give any of your children to be sacrificed to Moloch, for you must not profane the name of your God. I am the Lord." Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable. Do not have sexual relations with an animal and defile yourself with it. A woman must not present herself to an animal to have sexual relations with it. That is a perversion. Do not defile yourself in any of these ways because this is how the nations that I am going to drive out before you become defiled. Even the land was defiled. So I punish it for its sin and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you must keep my decrees and my laws. The native-born and the foreigner residing among you must not do any of these detestable things. For all these things were done by the people who lived in the land before you, and the land became defiled. And if, if you defile the land, it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Everyone who does any of these detestable things, such persons must cut off, be cut off from their people." Keep my requirements and do not follow any of the detestable customs that were practiced before you came, and do not defile yourselves with them. I am the Lord your God. Psalms 78 My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statuses for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them even the children yet to be born and they in turn would tell their children then they must put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds but would keep his commands they would not be like their ancestors a stubborn and rebellious generation whose heart were not loyal to God whose spirit were not faithful to him the men of Ephraim though armed with bows turned back on the day of battle they did not keep God's covenant and refused to live by his law They forgot what he had done, the wonders he had shown them. He did miracles in the sight of their ancestors. In the land of Egypt, in the region of Zoan, he divided the sea and led them through. He made the water stand up like a wall. He guided them with the cloud by day and with the light from the fire all night. He split the rock in the wilderness and gave them water as abundant as the seas. He brought seas out of a rocky crag and made water flow down like rivers. But they continued to sin against Him, rebelling in the wilderness against the Most High. They willfully put God to the test by demanding the food they craved. They spoke against God. They said, can God really spread a table in the wilderness? True, He struck the rock, and water gushed out. Streams flowed abundantly. But can He also give us bread? Can He supply meat for His people? When the Lord heard them, he was furious. His fire broke out against Jacob, and his wrath rose against Israel, for they did not believe in God or trust in his deliverance. Yet he gave a command to the skies above and opened the doors of the heavens. He rained down manna for the people to eat. He gave them the grain of heaven. Human beings ate the bread of angels. He sent them all the food they could eat. He let loose the east wind from the heavens, and by his power made the south wind blow. He rained meat down on them like dust, birds like sand on the seashore. He made them come inside their camp, all around their tent. They ate till they were gorged. He had given them what they had craved. But before they turned from what they craved, even while the food was still in their mouths, God's anger rose against them. He put to death the sturdiest among them, cutting down the young men of Israel. In spite of all this, they kept on sinning. In spite of his wonders, they did not believe. So he ended their days in futility and their years in terror. Whenever God slew them, they would seek him. They eagerly turned to him again. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. He remembered that they were but flesh, a passing breeze that does not return. How often they rebelled against him in the wilderness and grieved him in the wasteland. Again and again they put God to the test. They vexed the Holy One of Israel. They did not remember his power. The day he redeemed them from the oppressor, the day he displayed his signs in Egypt, his wonders in the region of Zoan, He turned their river into blood. They could not drink from their streams. He sent swarms of flies that devoured them and frogs that devastated them. He gave their crops to the grasshopper, their produce to the locusts. He destroyed their vines with hail and the sycamore figs with sleet. He gave over their cattle to the hail, their livestock to bolts of lightning. He unleashed against them his hot anger, his wrath, indignation, and hostility, a band of destroying angels. He prepared a path for his anger. He did not spare them from death, but gave them over to the plague. He struck down all the firstborn of Egypt, the firstfruits of manhood, and the tents of Ham. He brought, But he brought his people out like a flock. He led them like sheep through the wilderness. He guided them safely so they were unafraid, but the sea engulfed their enemies. So he brought them to the border of his holy land, to the hill country his right hand had taken. He drove out nations before them and allotted their land to them as an inheritance, he settled the tribes of Israel in their homes. But they put God to the test and rebelled against the Most High. They did not keep his statutes. Like their ancestors, they were disloyal and faithless and unreliable as a faulty bow. They angered him with their high places, they aroused his jealousy with their idols. When God heard them, he was furious. He rejected Israel completely. He abandoned the tabernacle of Shiloh, the tent he had set up among humans. He sent the ark of his might might into captivity, his splendor into the hands of the enemy. He gave his people over to the sword. He was furious with his inheritance. Fire consumed their young men, and their young women had no wedding songs. Their priests were put to the sword, and their widows kept weeping. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. He beat back his enemies. He put them to everlasting shame. Then he rejected the tents of Joseph. He did not choose the tribe of Ephraim, but he chose the tribe of Judah, Mount Zion, which he loved. He built his sanctuary like the heights, like the earth that he established forever. He chose David, his servant, and took him from the sheep pens. From tending the sheep, he brought him to be the shepherd of his people, Jacob, of Israel, his inheritance." And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Okay, first of all, I know my audio engineer is probably doing amazing works to make me sound better, but I am truly sick, so I apologize. But God is good, and I know I'll be well soon. (laughs) So, here we go. So far, we've been reading a pattern of costly sacrifices necessary in restoration and redemption. We have also been reading about laws which show an ethic of concern for the vulnerable. Father Mike Schmitz calls the Exodus story we read today a confirmation story. He describes it um, like the Catholic Church describes the RCA course, which helps people to come into the Catholic Church. And there's a similar process in the Lutheran Church. Likewise, Father Mike Schmitz describes the vows and process of a marriage to also be similar to this confirmation process. It's like a seal, a ceremony of receipt and agreement that we get to dwell together forever, as in this story, with God. Dr. Carmen Imes calls Exodus 24 a covenantal ratification, because ratification means to make valid, to give consent, to start something. Today, it's like we are reading about a ritual that makes things real. Aside from marriage, I think about graduation, which really ceremonially makes it clear you are now in a graduated state. And it's not the end of something, it's the beginning of something, right? Dr. am zooms into this story in her Free Exodus course with the explanation of this ratification ritual occurring in the context of worship, where there is a clear expectation given, a verbal agreement, a written record of the agreement, stone pillars to present all 12 tribes recognizing that everyone gets in, and there are also ritual offerings and blood symbolism. The blood was sprinkled on the people, which was somewhat unique when the only other time blood was sprinkled on people was on Aaron and his sons when they were becoming commissioned as high priests by Moses. This was also talked about in Leviticus 8 when priestly ordination rituals applied to blood being put on the people um, and the altar. The blood symbolism seems to be externally symbolizing this point at which one is commissioned into the kingdom of priests. It's so very cool. There's also this mention of them eating a meal and covenants were often sealed with meals in the ancient world. I feel like I'm reading a foreshadowing of the Last Supper with Jesus and the 12 disciples, um, 12 tribes, 12 disciples. It's getting started. And it's just before Jesus's crucifixion where his blood is not just symbolism. It is shed to restore and redeem us to him. So cool. This Exodus story is about faithfulness and the I do, initiating transformation for action. It's not the end, it's the beginning. And in Leviticus, I feel like we read two stories about how to put God's faithfulness on display in the where and who we worship forever and in the where and who we give ourselves to in an intimate relationship forever. While we have learned about cleanliness and purity laws that were actually not really related to morality yet— but distinguishing God's immortality in life in contrast to our mortality and closeness or proximity to death, here we are reading more about moral character, laws that show the people in contrast to the people currently living in the land and the land they came from, which God promises to give to Israel. So because I'm in marketing and branding like unique value propositions or unique positioning statements, they're not very foreign to me. And it's kind of like when you think about, this is going to sound totally bizarre because I'm going to say pizza. When you think about pizza, right, you've got pizza that you can make like DiGiorno's that's like frozen and their unique value proposition is we're the only frozen pizza that tastes like delivery. Or you've got, you know, Domino's and you've got Pizza Hut and you've got all your local specialty craft type pizza places. And the point is, It's all pizza, but there is unique value proposition to it. And people that are both customers or consumers and those that aren't typically are familiar with that distinction, with the positioning. And so what God's doing here with morality is saying, this is how you put me on display. This is part of my character and how you put me on display and distinguish me from all the other offerings out there which I think is so cool. And while we've learned a couple of things so far, there's going to be a lot more that we learn about. And I just want to start with that. So the theme, despite alternative cultural oppositions to worshiping other gods and having all different types of sexual relationships, from the Egyptian to the Canaanites and other neighboring groups, God is asking them in their most intimate relationships within their community to put him on display by being faithful to one person. Leviticus 17, I am your only God and and I give life and power. Do not practice local rituals that call on blood power and vitality from other sources and worship no other gods and make no sacrifices outside of my dwelling place. I feel like if we zoom in close here, it makes clear that sacrifices are only to be made at the tabernacle for God. So the who and where is very specific. No other place, no other gods. Second, because blood is linked to life and when it's sacrificed for atonement because blood comes from God and is given back to him. But when animal is, is killed or drained and it's, diff, it's not the way he's asking us to do it, we're not submitting to his ways, then it's not to be eaten. It's like distinguishing what is his and submitting to him versus not. Also note, in the ancient Near Eastern culture, drinking blood was thought to give like vitality and power, so mystical sort of magical strength, if you will. God is, in this story, separating his people from the myth, or perhaps this darker disordered power of his distortion from some other thing. right? So not not at all God. In this story, God is saying He alone gives life and power to his people. Once we get to the New Testament, The spoken gospel describes how Jesus was sent by God to give his blood and the Eucharist or some call it communion is the blood shed for us that we drink. John 6, 56, and his spirit, the Holy Spirit, is promised to dwell in us in Romans 8, 11. Our bodies become the tabernacle in a redeemed way that he wants to dwell with us in and from this blessing to be a blessing to others. There's a really cool connection between what we're seeing going on with blood symbolism here and what Jesus is going to do in the end. Um, And there's something internal about it, like taking it in, and something external about it too, as in putting God on display. So something personal and something communal and collective. Leviticus 18 shows God's care for men, women, and children in the family, but also for their contrast from the local Canaanites and from the land of Egypt where they had just come really not so long ago. God wants his immutable character of faithfulness put on display through their marriages. It's talked about here, marriages, similar to the blood symbolism. Marriage is talked about here, and then it's talked about again. We'll be talking about it in the New Testament and um, these mixed metaphors where his relationship with us, Jesus Christ's relationship with the church, his community, his people is discussed in the context of marriage. So think about it. If the locals were polyamorous or even more subtle but still distorted— the monogamy culture that we live in, which Dr. Esther Perel describes in an interview as meaning one sexual partner at a time in today's culture. Instead, once in a lifetime is this real idea that he's trying to put on display. Which do you think God meant? One at a time or once for a lifetime? I think God wanted his people to put him on display through their singular, intimate partnership for the purpose of being a blessing to their future progeny, and offering provision, being a blessing to their community. This would be in sharp contrast in Leviticus 18.3 to their Canaanite neighbors who do not practice this type of sexual or familiar structure. And I think that's the point of this part of the story. Also, I don't want anyone to hear that, like, you have to be married because I don't think that's the point. He's trying to put himself on display in this intimate relationship. We are one of God's beloved and we need his grace. I feel like I'm reading about a God that did not come to condemn, but give hope and make a way home from our alienation and dislocation that started in Genesis 3. Your story, my story, is not over. It's just beginning. We're in the early chapters. He made a way, he is transforming, and we're invited to say, I do. So cool. The themes of these stories, his blood and his way is the only way to atonement and flourishing life and faithfulness is a very important mark of his character that God wants us to display in our own hearts and to others. Ah, so much to reflect on how to put God's sacrifice and faithfulness on display through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit on all those in our spheres
0: of influence.